fakes the handoff. He drives the lane. He takes it to the house. Bouncing off defenders. He just laid it in. He just put it up and in. 56 seconds to play. Oh, by the way. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Game 7 is over. It's an instant classic. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A three for the game. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. You've got to pinch me. The doctor is now in. Happy Memorial Day to you and yours. Hopefully you're having a fantastic weekend. Well, we are actually off today. So, what we have in store for you is a best of T.C. Martin show edition on this Memorial Day weekend. We are going to play back some of our fun and fantastic interviews from the past. So kick back, relax, enjoy, have yourself a good time, and we'll be back at it again live tomorrow from 2 to 4 p.m. In the meantime, enjoy today's edition of the Best of T.C. Martin Show edition. Here you go. Long Kruger joins us now, the former UNLV coach and Oklahoma Sooner head coach. Well, one of only three coaches to lead five teams to the NCAA tournament. Lon, what is going on, my man? Hey, good to be with you. I guess, uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of an interesting day for sure. Uh, you know, a few uh, few weeks ago we hadn't planned on this day. Uh, we expect to go a little bit longer, but uh, all things uh, considered, uh, we did uh, announce retirement today. And uh, it's always tough to leave leave a team, you know, and that's the hardest part. We've got a great group of young men, and they're fun, and they're going you know, to be fun next year, and uh, we'll be cheering from uh, – uh, not the sidelines, but uh, up in the stands. So we're excited for them. All right, Lon. So i got to ask, I mean, how long has this uh, been brewing for you here? Because uh, you've done a great job of, of keeping it under wraps if this is ha- has been some time coming. Uh, again, you know, we were talking uh, back and forth the la- last couple days. When did you come to this determination? And if you can, please give us the details. Not really anything unusual. I met with, uh, you know, the Final decision was made yesterday with our athletic director Joe Castiglione. Uh, um, you know, kind of going into this year, back in September, uh, I've expected to go this year and at least one more. And uh, you know, quite honestly, when uh, you know, good friend, assistant coach uh, Lou Hill passed about two months ago, just you know, quite honestly, just started working on me a little bit. And then, as always, I always knew the the tug of the grand grandkids would be the reason that. Uh, we uh, you know gave it up and moved on to the retirement level and uh, and that that probably was the biggest factor combination of those two things. Did it factor in when Kevin got the job as the head coach here at UNLV? Did that enter into your mind a little bit? Like, hey, really would like you know really because I know how happy you were you know for him and you are for him. And again, Las Vegas is you know you guys second home. Did that factor into like well okay maybe this is really a good time? It definitely contributed. Yeah, and and. Shoot, you know, cheering on, uh, you know, whatever your kids are doing is uh, is uh, the greatest joy. So being able to, you know, watch his games and uh, cheer, you know, cheer him on, and uh, absolutely. But uh, you know, that is kind of coincides with the the grandkids, the influence they had, and uh, you know, being a part of their activities and watching them grow and being there. And uh, we'll split our time between Vegas and Nashville, is where our daughter lives with her kids. And, and Oklahoma, so yeah, all, all good stuff. Lon Kruger joins us. Uh, Lon officially announced his retirement today. 
as the University of Oklahoma head coach. We know that you met with your players just a couple hours ago, Lon. Tell us uh, what that was like. I got a chance to kind of see him as it leaked out today. We, you know, we're a little naive to think that it wouldn't leak out, I guess. <laughs> so we had a three o'clock meeting scheduled, which we did have, but, uh, you know, kind of met the players individually throughout the day and, and they were great. They were absolutely great. Uh, good, good group of guys and, and, uh, you know, and just, uh, all feel good and, and all positive and uh, again, just huge fans of theirs going forward. We know that you're in good health, uh, and we again, we know that you're such a great spokesman and organizer for Coaches versus Cancer here in Vegas, and just not in Vegas, but but throughout the country and everything. Was was the coaching grind getting to you after a while, or did you have a timetable set, uh, you know, before that you said, okay, maybe you know, uh, I'm going to you know, give this up in two or three years, and then again, you mentioned Lou Hill, you mentioned Kevin, that sort of thing. Uh, how have you been feeling personally? And and did the grind factor into this? The, the grind, uh, you know, not at all. I mean, it is a grind. You know, in the Big Twelve, it's really a grind. <laughs> they, right. And, they, and let's uh, be honest, too, with COVID, too, right? I mean, that uh, this well, was a you had, you had COVID to it, yeah. but but no, not really, okay. not that part of it. Because I love, I love, you love preparing for the challenge, uh, preparing for you know a Baylor, preparing for. You know, Gonzaga preparing for Missouri, all those teams that you prepare for in a tournament or Big 12. And that's, that's the, the greatest, uh, kind of, uh, you know, excitement is, okay, how do we, you know, let's figure out how to do this together with your team. And, uh, and you're doing it against other ranked teams every night, it seems like in the Big 12, it, uh, it does become a grind, but that's, you know, that's kind of, Part of the excitement. That's part of the challenge, and uh, and uh, that was okay, you know, because we loved we loved going to practice every day, and we loved working with the guys, and loved seeing their progress, and and, uh, and all that. But I think I think it's more of a factor of just hey, you know, it's time. It's time with uh, again uh, the grand grandchildren looking and tugging, and uh, not that they did that consciously, of course, but uh, in uh, our minds and hearts, Barb, Barb, of course. Uh, uh, you know, you know, she's excited about more time with the grandkids. She loves what what the coaching life has been, but uh, she also loves those grandkids too. There you go. Lon Kruger joins us. TC Martin Show along with Frank Harnish. You know, Lon, I remember covering you out here, and everybody in Vegas missed you when you left and you went to Oklahoma. You were such a ingrained part of the community, and you still are, and people love you here in Las Vegas. You've had a storied career. You've been a success everywhere you've gone. What are some of the highlights or the pinnacles when you look back on your career, or is it still a little bit too early to ask that? Because I'm sure you have great memories from every stop that you've had along the way. We've been so fortunate. I mean, to do, I mean, we started as a player in college, uh, what, 51 years ago. And every day since, for the most part, uh, we've been doing what we love to do. And, uh, you know, that's such a blessing. And uh, all the friendships that are derived from from that, you know, the platform we have as a as a coach, you know, to uh, be a part of Coaches for Cancer and to promote research and promote fundraising and and uh, all the opportunities we have to meet people, the administrators we've had during those years, uh, the players that we've had during those years, and the relationships that result from all that. We've been so blessed in all those ways. Uh, you know, couldn't be more thankful and appreciative and. And honored to, to be able to do what we've done. 
So we had Kevin on yesterday, and again, congratulations, uh, you know, to him. We know that you're very excited about that. He, one of the things that he said yesterday, he said he wanted to be, a, he knew he wanted to be a head coach when he was about eight or nine years old. <laughs> That's what he said, and that kind of struck me. And I said, okay, so let me ask you: Did you see that in him at that age? And, and if so, um, what what gave you that inclination that he could actually be following in his father's footsteps? Didn't necessarily, you know, from my perspective, didn't necessarily think about the head coaching part as much as, you know, he, he was going to be a leader. You know, he was always a, you know, he thought like a point guard. He, uh, you know, thought like a quarterback. He thought like a shortstop in baseball. I mean, he did all those things growing up, although, you know, he gravitated pretty early on to the basketball side of it. But uh, that, that was what he was always about. He understood. He had a good feel for it. You know, he was about winning. He was about his teammates. So all those things, uh, you know, being a head coach, being a leader, being a business owner, it always goes back to, to being about others. And uh, Kevin always was. He's about fairness. He's about uh, others, you know, and, and making others feel feel good about themselves or do well in their own right. And uh, I think that's what uh, leadership is all about. You know, I remember talking to both you and him two years ago when he uh, took the job. Uh, with T.J. Otzelberger here at UNLV. And at that point in time, you know, he left your program there. At that point in time, Lon, I mean, you lost an assistant coach. But then again, I'm not say you didn't lose your son, but at least you know, you're not seeing him on a daily basis. What was that like for you when he came here to Vegas to be an assistant coach? Twice. Uh, when a yes, young true. guy, yeah. daughter, yeah, yeah leaves, uh, leaves the home you know, from high school, you really don't expect to spend every day with them again. Uh, you know, and that's and that's something that's a transition as a parent. You know, and uh, we had the opportunity when he uh, transferred to UNLV as a grad, you know, grad transfer from Arizona State to be with him every day his senior year, his final year of college, and then to come back and uh, be on our staff and be with him every day. And our staff has lunch together every day, and we talk and meet every morning. And to have that experience for a couple of years uh, as an assistant coach here. Uh, then all of a sudden, TJ, out of, you know, out of the blue, kind of calls and says, hey, I'd like to talk to Kevin about being an assistant here. So that was, you know, took a moment there. And, and uh, you know, TJ you know, kind of recruited him away, which was great. We, uh, wait, wait, you lost a recruit? I never heard Lon Kruger losing a recruit. <laughs> you lost your own son as a recruit. What's up with that? Yeah, that's, uh, I, I blamed it on his mother. Yeah, yeah I blamed it on his mother. <laughs> You know, so, uh, but we were thrilled for him. But, and the opportunity to go under TJ and, and under a different way of thinking, he, did, he had that at Jack, with Jack Murphy at uh, Northern Arizona, and that was a great experience for him. So he's had, and he's played, you know, seven or eight years professionally and had all those coaches that he learned from and, and were around. So he's had, he's had a pretty varied uh, list of opportunities to learn from other people, which is fantastic. You know, Lon, yesterday after we spoke with Kevin, TC and I were talking after the show, and I, I kind of jokingly mentioned to him that it's like, well, what is your wife going to do at some point, especially if you guys met in the tournament, Oklahoma and UNLV? So uh, was part of this so you didn't have to put her through that pressure down the road? Now we, we know. Not, yeah. We, we would have not enjoyed that. Uh, actually, when uh, Kevin played at Arizona State, I remember the toughest uh, three days in our family was when uh, – the NIT earlier on at UNLV, we were in the NIT against Arizona State, and so Kevin was a player there. We were coaching against him, 
and wife Barbara, you know, mom Barbara, <laughs> clearly I learned quickly who she favored, you know, because, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, second wrong for sure. <laughs> you know, it's funny. One of the questions that I, w- I was going to ask you before this news, this bombshell that we got uh, earlier today about you retiring, if you had to handpick a job or recommend Kevin for a program to take over, I would think it'd automatically be UNLV. And I was going to ask you, would it be UNLV or would it be Oklahoma when you retire? And then sure enough, today, you know, you, you retire. So, uh, it's wow! I got answer that I missed, question. I missed, I, missed up, I messed up your question. Yeah, uh, you I, did. I, yeah, Shame yeah, yeah. You. Well, clear, clearly, <laughs> it would be UNLV because that's home. That's home for Kevin. Mm-hmm. You, know, we, you know, growing up with us, you know, of course, he traveled all over the country and different jobs, and and uh, you know, but but when he was at Oklahoma or at uh, UNLV, that final year of college, ever since then, he's considered Vegas home. And he loves the city, and he's got a passion for it, and certainly. Uh, the passion for the rebels program so uh, he loves it and um, and um, you know he'll rally you know uh, a good group of people around him as it relates to his staff and players and you know, the administration uh, uh, he'll be very supportive and and people in town uh, yeah they'll, they'll you know, it'll happen in a big way I'm, I'm excited for him so I'm sure a lot of people they probably already asked you this, Lon. Like, okay, now that you're retired and Kevin's the head coach at UNLV, how involved are you going to be with him uh, in in that program? And we we were joking yesterday. We we're saying like, well, hey, you know, you know, Lon has all these recruits and doesn't have room for him in Oklahoma. You know, hey, he, he's kind of probably going to be recruiting UNLV, uh, you know, for you as well too. And we had some fun with that, but. Uh, is is your mo that you're gonna hey just kick back you know watch him grow watch him develop and do his own thing and just kind of big be the biggest UNLV supporter or do you uh, plan on maybe helping him out a little bit? We'll we'll be the biggest supporter uh, you know from from a, from a distance from a fan's perspective uh, yeah I mean we uh, we want uh, he and his program to be ultra successful uh, but it really from the outside you know other than. You know, just being there supportive, uh, rules kind of limit what you could do. So uh, we're going to do everything we can within the rules. Uh, but it's not like you can entertain recruits. You can't call recruits. You can't, you know, as a fan, you can't do any of that. So uh, obviously, you know, Kevin's not going to operate in the you know, outside the, the compliance uh, allowances. So, But we'll be a fan. Yeah, we'll be a fan. We'll be supportive, just like uh, you or anyone else in town, hopefully. Now, Lon, certainly Kevin knows the city. He played here. Uh, he was an assistant coach at UNLV. Now he's the head coach at UNLV. He, he played for you as the coach. So, you know, it's a good thing that he knows the city. But what can you offer him about the challenges and the best-selling points for UNLV? Because you have been the head coach at this school. So that's got to be advantageous for him because obviously there's a lot of pluses in this city, but we know that outside of Las Vegas, there's other coaches that try to take pot shots at the town. Yeah, it's, it's just like with anything else you do. Um, you know, it, I don't. It, 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 there's not any secret to it. it. It's always about people. It's always about relationships. It's always about treating people right. Being transparent, uh, being open, uh, great communication. Uh, again, whether you're a coach or a parent or a business leader, it, it always comes back to, to the basics. Just treat people right. You know, be uh, honest, be open, be upfront, uh, no hidden agendas. Um, and and he'll, he, that's all he's grown up with. He's grown up with that. You know, everywhere he's been, he's uh, that's what he's about. 
and he'll do that. And uh, you know, our only advice is just be yourself and and enjoy it, and uh, you know, circle yourself with people that you love doing business with every day. And uh, and uh, it comes pretty simply in that way. Well, you know him better than anybody, Lon. So, what are his biggest strengths and his ability to be a head coach at UNLV? Along those lines that we've been talking about, he's, he's passionate. He's a hard worker. He's not going to cut any corners. He's about other people, you know, making others uh, feel good, uh, doing things for others, uh, helping them, you know, as players uh, be the best they can be, and uh, and just do it every day. I think consistency is a huge part of it. And um, he's he's been pretty much that way all his life. I don't see him changing at all. He has very little ego. He's very competitive, but he has very little ego in that way. And uh, he wants to do everything he can to help his players uh, be as, as good as they possibly can be. How would you grade him as a recruiter and a teacher? I think high because being a recruiter is about you know, about relationships. Yep, it's about right. people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, he's just going to be himself. I think the thing that people will find out about him is it's kind of what you see is what you get. <laughs> when he tells you something, it's going to be, you know, a handshake is fine. He doesn't need his written word. You know, he's about, uh, you know, being consistent every day. He's not going to be one way one day, a different way the next. Uh, he's going to treat people the, the same every day. And, and I think, you know, he's, you know, and treat people like you'd want to be treated. And I think if you do that every day and uh, don't offer a, a lot of surprises one day to the next to the people that are working with you and, and that uh, that you're working with, then uh, people are going to come to be pretty comfortable and give you their best effort. All right, Long Kruger joins us on the day that he announces his retirement from coaching basketball. Today he retires at the University of Oklahoma. You know, Lon, unfortunately, there are some people out there that are negative, and there's naysayers out there, and some of the people are pointing to the biggest obstacle Kevin have is that he, has, he hasn't been a head coach before. What do you say to those people? Because he's been an assistant, he was a coach on the court, he's been doing this, like he said, he's been dreaming of doing this since he was eight or nine years old, and isn't it true that every head coach out there you know, was never a head coach until they got their first gig. So what do you say about that? Is that a negative? And what's the biggest transition he has to make from being an assistant to being the man, the head guy? Yeah, all that is, is true. You know, this is his first job. And uh, he'll be a better coach in his second year than he is in his first. And he'll be a better one in his tenth than he is in his fifth. <laughs> it's amazing. The value of the experience, you, know, you, you can't argue that, you know. But – He's prepared to be a head coach. He's thought like a head coach. He's been in the huddles. He's been in the, the staff meetings, the recruiting meetings. And, and to your point, you're right. Uh, everyone's a, a first-time head coach at some point in their career. And, and Kevin does understand that the opportunity to be a first-time head coach at UNLV is rare and special because oftentimes you don't have uh, that status when you think about the history of it and the success of it and the and the championships and and Tark and uh, you know the other coaches that have been there before yeah, he knows uh, how fortunate he is and uh, sometimes it's about timing mm-hmm. and in this case I think the timing was right and he was in the right spot and uh, and he'll do well you know, I don't think there's any question about that but uh, not always do you are you fortunate enough to have that opportunity at that moment 
Before we let you go, Lon, just want to get your, your thoughts on the tournament. Uh, you were playing this past weekend, and uh, great victory against Missouri, by the way. Congratulations in the 8-9 game. But then your reward, you get number one Gonzaga uh, in the second round. Hey, you played them very, very tough. Uh, what is your viewpoint of the Zags? And compare them to a program and a team that you know very well in Baylor and maybe some of the other top teams that you've seen so far this year. The Zags are very good. You know, Mark Fears done a great job for a lot of years. And then you add to that, uh, you know, uh, great players. And then they are really good. I mean, they got guys that are going to be in the NBA. And, and I think the thing that uh, maybe, you know, we played, we played top 10 teams all year in the Big 12. And, and uh, so our guys were used to that. And yet, Gonzaga is a little different. I think Baylor, if, if, if this wasn't a one-game deal, Every night out in the, in the NCAA play, I think Baylor is the only other team that could maybe match up with Gonzaga. Now, other teams can beat Gonzaga, and they can beat Baylor in a one-game deal. But I think Baylor Gonzaga have separated themselves a little bit from everyone else in the field, and and uh, I would love to see that you know be the championship game because I think those two. Those two are really special. Right. Well, that's what I have in my bracket. So there you go. And actually, I, I went on a limb, and I, as much as I love Gonzaga, and of course we get a chance to see him out here at the WCC tournament here in Vegas, but I picked Baylor, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, Gonzaga really hasn't seen a team that has all of those type of weapons and that physicality and the way they shoot the ball like Baylor. So, uh, again, you know Baylor better than anybody, and you guys have played them tough as well, too. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Yep. No, I think, I think your point is right. I think Baylor's got that uh, those special guys like, like Gonzaga does. Yeah. And, uh, again, in this great game, uh, anyone can pull an upset. I mean, obviously. But, uh, but uh, again, if it was a game of uh, three-game series or five-game series, I think those are your two best teams. So let me ask you about Alabama, because you actually played them earlier this year at the end of January in a non-conference game, and you guys beat them earlier this year. And we know that they can shoot the three. They had a great year in the SEC. What's your opinion of Alabama? I think they're very good. And Nate Oates has done a terrific job. And the thing about Alabama that maybe people don't give them enough attention because they talk about their three-point shooting and uh, the pace of play and their drive and kick, and they do all that. But they're very good defensively, too. They've got rangy athletes that are that are connected, and uh, they've uh, they've been very good on the defensive end. So I think Alabama's a legitimate uh, legitimate threat. Uh, 16 teams that are left are, are all pretty good. I think Oregon. I think Dane Altman, of course, I'm a huge fan of his. Yep. But I think he's uh, done a phenomenal job, and, uh, and uh, they've got Southern Cal. Uh, on Sunday in Southern Cal, of course, you know, it was great, you know, given how they thrashed uh, Kansas, uh, you know, last weekend. Uh, not many people can do that to a, to a Kansas team, and, and they did. And Andy Infield's done a great job there, too. Hey, Lon, getting back real quick here to Vegas. Um, when you were here, you certainly had UNOV, and you guys were the king of the sports world out here, and then there'd be big boxing matches or UFC events or something like that. But now when you come to town and you visit uh, Kevin, uh, did you ever think you'd have the opportunity to go see NHL games and the Raiders and the NFL and that? Did, did you ever see Vegas getting professional major league sports? Certainly, I think you know Vegas is, is so attractive and, and so unique. Uh, absolutely, it was going to happen. I don't didn't know it was going to happen that quickly, but uh, having the, the 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 knights in there, having the raiders in there, I think that only makes it more challenging. And, and uh, you know, UNLV's got to do a better job than they've ever done before because there's uh, more competition. And in Vegas, there's always competition because of the 
you know, the casinos and the great shows and the great restaurants and all the great entertainment. And, uh, and I think all that's healthy because, uh, again, people have a choice, and not just uh, for food and entertainment, but also entertainment as it relates to sports teams. And for years, uh, UNLV was the sports team in Las Vegas, and now you got other great sports teams, and UNLV has to you know, continue to, to push to raise the bar. And uh, hopefully um, you know, they can figure out how to do that. All right, Lon Kruger joins us. Lon, uh, talk real quick about coaches versus cancer because that has been your pride and joy. You've done a fantastic job here with the event in Vegas, and like I said earlier, just you know nationwide, but raising millions upon millions of dollars for research of coaches versus cancer. Now that you are officially retired, do you uh, uh, still continue with that? Do you take on a little bigger role? Because uh, we know uh, how fond you are of this charity. Talk a little bit about it. I appreciate that. Um, uh, everyone's been touched by cancer. So absolutely, we'll continue uh, with what we've been doing. Uh, coaches around the country do a great job because of the MGM Resorts. They're in town as a host sponsor and Sanford Health uh, out of South Dakota, you know, being the, the signature sponsor. Uh, you got uh, Shadow Creek. You got Southern Highlands as, as two host golf courses. Uh, the Summit out on West, uh, new newer facility out there. It's great, and they've joined in. Uh, yeah, it's, Vegas is a natural to, to continue that. This is the 14th year coming up this May, and uh, people do a great job. Uh, DJ Allen and, and Bridget Byrne and the X's and, uh, X's and O's of success there in town do a great job organizing it locally. So, uh, But because people, coaches, come to town, they know it's a great cause. Uh, we've raised uh, certainly millions of dollars because of the participation of all those uh, people and all those sponsors. So we'll keep that up and May 16th, May 18th uh, this uh, this spring, and I think people are anxious to get out and be more normal because of the pandemic, and hopefully uh, Vegas continues to move in the direction that it has recently um, in allowing all those uh, great things to happen. All right, well, great stuff, Lon. We appreciate uh, all of your time here in Vegas, what you do, again, on the court, off the court, and now uh, we'll probably be seeing you a lot more, so it means more appearances for you on the show now, because we always have you on usually during Coaches versus Cancer or prior to that, and we'll see a lot of the Thomas and Mac. That's uh, that's fantastic. Uh, Graciously appreciate your time, especially today, my friend, because I know uh, this was somewhat unexpected. I know when you probably agreed to do this interview, you weren't planning on, uh, you know, meeting your team and and, and uh, announcing your retirement today so uh, i really appreciate you taking the time and doing that it, it really means a lot well thank you you're you're our, our first official show in retirement so we, uh, <laughs> we we will always have that so we appreciate that we appreciate your support promotion of uh, the coaches versus cancer and, and everything else so uh, always always uh Appreciate the opportunity. Are you feeling a little bit relieved today, or how how you feeling? I mean, has it hit you yet that hey, I'm retired right now? <laughs> well, I haven't felt it yet because <laughs> it, it becomes kind of a whirlwind on that first day. But uh, but now it's there's mixed emotions because we love what we do and and we love the guys and and we'll miss that. We'll we'll absolutely miss that. And uh, and yet um, we look forward to what lies ahead. I mean, the shoot. Uh, there's so many exciting things out there and, and opportunities. And like you said earlier, the grandkids, uh, you know, Kevin's program and UNLV's program. And, and I'll, I'll say, too, the thing that people will find that that will be, you know, I said in, in air, Kevin's program, this is a city's program. This is UNLV, belongs to Las Vegas, the people, the fans, the players, the former players. I mean, Kevin will make that a priority to, to, to this uh, everyone's program is a shared ownership and, 
and uh, that's part of why uh, it will work going forward. All right. Who's cutting down the nets? I, I'm going to go with Big 12, you know, all the way. <laughs> Respect Gonzaga, but I'll be pulling for Baylor. All right, brother. Hey, thanks a lot, Lon. Right. We appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking to you and seeing you very, very soon. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Now, now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. That boy is good. The doctor, T.C. Martin. All right, we're about to one week into the Major League Baseball season. Hmm. Let's uh, dive into it with our five-time All-Star, the two-time World Series champ, and does a fantastic job on MLB Network Radio, the second baseman himself, Steve Sachs. Saxy, what are you doing? Are you making something in the kitchen there? What's going on there? Um, well, you know me, TC. I'm always eating something. Yes! Um, and, you know, you know, when you call, it's like it's no different. Now, I want to ask you if, if that's the same uh, parameters as far as the quake is concerned, if the quake is always in there having something, you know what I mean? Because I always am. I, I wouldn't mind joining the quake one time to uh, to break some bread. You know what I mean? I know. And the quake just walked out of the building. I mean, he just walked out, and I'm sure. Okay. What, wait, hold on. Is that him outside with a big bowl in front of him? Can I see him? <laughs> He's underneath an umbrella. What is that? It looks like a big old cereal bowl or something, but it's not cereal. <laughs> Numchuck, go out there and f- find out what the hell Quake is eating. Tell him his boy Steve Sachs is on. That's the Quake. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, Numchuck's texting quake? him right now. Yeah, he's. Yeah, there, right. there it is. Yeah. Oh, uh, breaking news. There it is. Here it is. Quake just went to lunch. That's it. Oh, <laughs> hey, he really? Left, he left How the building. How long is Quake lunch? Is it, is it, does it overlap dinner or what does it do? <laughs> I don't know. Come on, seriously. I know, right? That's tough. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's kind of like seasons in sports today. They just run into each other. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I got to hear. What, what, do you, what do you got cooking there in the Sachs household? What's, what, what's up? Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to have tonight. I'm, uh, I, I, I usually cook for my dog. I have my dog, and then, and then I come second, you know. So it just depends on what, what, the, what Boo-Boo wants, and then I, then I, I go from there. So. <laughs> Oh, whatever Boo Boo wants, Boo Boo gets. Yeah. There you go. He's spoiled. He's the most spoiled dog in the, in, in the country. No now, doubt about it. Now, is there any truth to the you named Boo Boo after the Yogi Bear cartoon? Uh, you know what? When I, when I got him, I just said, God, this dog is like the most sweetest animal in the world. And he's, he's just got, it's like a pet named Boo Boo. And I, it's perfect for him. He's, my dog could be one of those hospital dogs where. You know, people are sick, terminally ill, and you bring a dog in, and they just love on him all day. That's what my dog does. He's just, he's just the sweetest thing ever. He's, so, he's great. He's so amazing. he could, so he could be a service dog. Does he carry he a could. picnic basket? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he absolutely could. He, he could do that, and yeah, I mean, it fits him. It fits him right. He could uh, absolutely be a service dog, no doubt. All right, Steve. So let's talk about your former team, the Dodgers. Uh, they're starting, mm-hmm. out, they're starting out very, very hot. Well, we'll get to right. that here in a minute. But the big news here is, I know they got their World Series rings, 232 mm-hmm. diamonds and what wow. I'm hearing and seeing here, 53 sapphires. I, I want to know, how many diamonds did you get in your ring, in your World Series got, ring back in the day? I got, I, I got one, and I'm going to try to get a rebate on mine. You know, I got, got one diamond. Um, in the 81 World Series ring, there's one diamond. In, in the other one, I, I think there's a few more than that. So you can, so you can see they went from 88, 81 to 88. They graduated to several more. There's a couple of sapphires in there. And now you, you fast forward to 2021. I mean, this thing, this thing looks like uh, the, front, the front piece of the Wizard of Oz Palace. I mean, this thing is crazy. It's, it's a beautiful thing. 
this this Dodger ring now. I knew it would be. Can, can you get your hands on uh, on one of those? At least uh, you know you pose for a picture or something like that. I, mean, I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't think so. But but uh, I've seen the picture of it. It's amazing. The box that it come in, that comes in. You open the box up, and it it, it has a small. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating this. It has a a video component <laughs> inside the box. It's like you like you open it up, and it's a little TV, and it and it has just these running stream of of the great plays that were done throughout the course of the year uh, in 2020. It's, it's an, I mean, even the box has got to be worth, you know, a few thousand bucks. Yeah. We were looking at that. We were looking at it and saying, wow. I mean, you know, I'd love to, to get a picture and again, you got enough pull there with the Dodgers there. You should get a 2020 ring and your 1981 ring or whatever, and go side by side. And really <laughs> let's look at the contrast and the differences there. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. M- my house times have changed. The 81 ring is really right in the middle. The 81 ring, I mean, the 80, 88 ring is beautiful. My 88 yeah. ring is unbelievable. And the 81 ring is a classic because it, it looks like it's, it's, it's got the one uh, diamond set in this black onyx, which is just stunning against the gold. I mean, they really have done them well. I, I've got two World Series rings, and they're both stunning. They're, they're really great. How often do you wear those? Are, you, are they just locked I, away I, as safekeeping? A, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, AM570 in L.A. is the Dodgers flagship, mm-hmm. and I do some work with them uh, postseason. I did some stuff on opening day the other day, and they asked me that same question, and I told Kim Cates, the host, I said, you know, I've, I've never had on the 88 ring. I've never, I don't wear the rings. I've never even worn the 88 ring at all. And he says, well, you got to take a picture of it and put it on for the first time. We're going to put it on, on YouTube and Twitter. So I'm going to put it on today and send him a picture of it. The first time I'll ever have the 88 ring on. Never, never, never donned the ring yet. So I've got to do it today. Okay. So when you send him the picture, you send me the picture as well, too. Maybe we'll throw that on the website. I mean, we, we got we got to see right, cool. that. Yeah, do it. Seriously. Let's, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll put it up there. Appreciate yeah, I'll send it to you, TC. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Steve, Steve Sachs joins us, the two-time World Series champ, five-time All-Star. Yeah, I, yeah, I was looking at that ring. I think there's more ice on that thing than there is in the Staples Center when the Kings play. But it's, <laughs> it's pretty amazing when you see that thing out there. But now, I also it should be noted for fans out there that are Dodger fans. I just saw that you can get a replica Dodger ring for thirty five thousand dollars. So if you want one of your own, they are right. available. Wow. Well, I, I keep getting asked uh, by these collectors if I will sell mine, and they get the same answer every time. The answer is no. Even if you double the price, I'm not selling my rings, man. I'm not selling my rings. I'm not selling my trophies. I'm not selling anything because that stuff is going to my grandson and my son, and, and that's it. So nobody's getting my stuff. I don't care what the money is. <laughs> so, not gonna so, happen. so being on Pawn Stars isn't that important to you? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Not going to happen. I know Oral Hirschheiser and, and Kirk Gibson actually sold all their stuff. Gibby sold the bat that he hit the iconic home run with, the helmet, the jersey. They sold all that stuff. Gibson and Hersizer got, I, I understand, well over a million dollars. And if they can get a million for all their stuff, I, I, I've got to get at least, what, six, seven hundred thousand, right? Well, Mine, yeah. but just I ain't doing it. Think no how, way. Just think how much you can get for your old Simpsons stuff as well, too. I mean, after all, you're in the Hall yeah, of Fame because right. of that. They weren't on the Simpsons. Yeah. They were not on the Simpsons. Yeah. Right? Exactly. That's right. So that matters. Jeez. That's funny. I was watching the Dodger broadcast yesterday, and I saw Fernando Valenzuela and Oral Hershiser in the booth at the same time yesterday. I was surprised about Fernando's English, how good it has gotten. Fernando does really well. He works for KWKW, yeah. the, the, the Spanish station 
in Los Angeles, does a great job. He's been there for a long time, too. Fernando, and when he came up, you know, he, he knew as much English as he wanted to be comfortable with. So when it, when it fit the time for him to know English, he knew it. And uh, when it wasn't so advantageous for him, he, just, he didn't understand English too good. So he, he worked it really well. But Fernando's a smart guy. He, he, he can speak the language pretty well. I thought that about Hideki Matsuama yesterday after he won the Masters. They had the interpreter there the entire time. And then at the end, Jim Nance said goodbye to him. And he goes, you know, he says, I'm very happy. I go, wait, wait, wait. you're fine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Did you see the video yeah. that he posted years ago, Matsuama? He's, he's there with, I think it's uh, Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, and somebody else, and he's teaching them Japanese lessons and that. And they're talking, and he looks, and he goes, guys, I can speak English. He actually did a video years ago where he says it. it, it it's kind of hilarious. Somebody posted it on, on, on social media yeah. the other day. Yeah. Love it. That's funny. Love it. Hey, so – we are back with baseball. Crowds are back in the stadiums. Are you feeling mm-hmm. that baseball is back kind of as we know it, or is it still – does it feel like it was two years ago, or are we just not there yet? Uh, no, I, I, no, not quite yet, but there's going to be a, a great amount of enthusiasm when they start letting people back. And Heck, in Texas, they had 50,000 on opening day. I saw it. Because yeah. Texas is wide open. You know, in these other states like California and New York, it's only 20%. That's going to wrap up. That's going to ramp up really fast. I, I think by, you know, in May will be 50% to 70%. And then, of course, by June 15th in California, at least, it's 100%. So we know that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, the, the enthusiasm for baseball is great right now. Um, I'm not too enthused about all the politics of it. But as far as on the field stuff, it's, it's, it's awesome right now. All right, so we had some controversy. I know how much you love controversy. We had two bad yeah, calls not, not really. <laughs> on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, let's talk about this. In the, in the game Saturday with the Marlins and the Mets, I'm sure you saw this, 2-2, bottom mm-hmm. of the ninth, bases loaded, one out. Michael Conforto is at the plate for the Mets. Right. Uh, one and two count. And remind me of Reggie Jackson in 1977. That's oh, what it reminded me of. Did, was it? Was it? Was it like that? Really? I mean, just yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, well, for our people that, for the listeners that aren't sure what we're talking about, Michael Conforto took a strike three and he stuck his elbow in the strike zone, right? And it nicked his 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 14 inch uh, elbow guard, <laughs> right? And it nicked it, and uh, he got first base instead of being rung up, and the game was was over. Um, or was tied and was going to continue on right. to the next inning. Uh, the run scored because the bases were loaded uh, on the hit by pitch, and that was it. Yeah. So I mean, they look, look, you, you, uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to to see the reaction of the hitter. How he wasn't jumping out of the way. He was, he was in fact trying to create contact, and they they could call him out for that, but they didn't do it. Yeah. So Conforto's like you said, has got this big elbow pad. The the, sl- the the pitch was a slider, and it grazed the elbow pad, ends up in the catcher's glove right over the heart of the plate. The umpire rang him up, called, called strike three, and then all of a sudden, wait, 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 no, let's go to replay. This thing took forever. Then they come back and say Conforto is awarded first base. Ball game. Game over. Mets win three to two. It was insane. Yeah, yeah, it, it, was, it was kind of crazy, and uh... – and then we saw the other one too, uh, where Alex Baum Baum was coming home, yep. uh, and it didn't look like he touched on play. I will say this though, on that play, you, there, I didn't see an angle where it was straight above the the dish where you could tell that he didn't touch the corner of the plate. But to me, it looked like he did not touch the plate. I would have liked one more angle, but to me, it looked like he did not. 
touch the plate. There's no excuse for getting these things wrong with instant replay. There's no excuse for it. Okay, and what he, uh, Steve's return, referring to is the other thing. Last night in the Phillies-Braves game, the Sunday night baseball game, is the top of the ninth inning, and the, the Phillies and Braves are tied 6-6. Sack fly, D.G. Gregorius hits a sack fly. Alec Baum, uh, the third baseman for the Phillies, comes racing home, and home plate umpire Lance Barrett uh, called him safe. We go to replay another long review here. And really, Steve, clearly it shows that the runner never touched home plate, but replay yeah. upheld the safe call. Phillies win 7-6. So two, I, I, two I of these things back-to-back back days in and, and, and game-determining yeah. calls. I don't get it. They're trying to, if they're, if they're trying to uh, encourage people to go back into the hands of the umpires mm-hmm. because they want to take the pressure off the video. There's no pressure on the video. You just call it what it says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, it looked like, for sure, the, the one with Conforto, he should have been out. And maybe I didn't see the other angle, but it looked like Alec Baum was out, too. And they, and they get him wrong both times. That's, that's, why are you having video if you don't call it right? It's not that hard. And, and it's kind of weird, too, because when you think about it in baseball, home plate is the only base that isn't elevated. And his foot was up in yeah. the air, and that's one of the reasons he missed it. So he might have been safe at any other base. But, but he wasn't at home plate because it's not up there. And as far as Conforto, I think his coaches told him to lean into one, so that's what he did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm seeing right. Yeah, lean into the, that one. That's what he did. You know, it's, 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 uh, I don't understand it. I wish I had an explanation for it. But to get it wrong on video is, uh, is crazy. I don't know. I mean, baseball's changing so much, you guys. It's, I don't recognize a lot of it now. They're, they seem to have adopted the runner on second base rule in extra innings now because this just might put too much pressure on them to go out ahead and earn the guy at second base and win the game the right way. you got to go out and do the softball rule, uh, the Bobby Sox rule, and put the guy at second base. Uh, you know, they wonder why. They wonder why the, 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 you know, the attendance since 2012 has been dropping precipitously. Uh, other than 2015-16 where it was just a wash, I think there was 20,000 more people over the millions and millions uh, that come in every year uh, in 2016 compared to 15. But that's it. Every other year uh, up until last year, baseball attendance has been dropping. And I'm not even counting the COVID stuff. I'm just saying a regular season, it is dropping. And you know what I think has happened? I think that baseball is losing a lot of its base fanship. Um, when you start When you start taking away the tradition of the game and, changing the game so radically um people that have been around for a long time are are just going to say forget it i mean you know what i don't want to watch this anymore and they're going to go spend their money somewhere else so i I think if uh if they went back to to the 1980 rules and just left the game alone and you could run over a catcher and you know you could take the second baseman legs out and whatever and quit whining about oh somebody might get hurt people might watch it more What's your old uh, term you used on the show? The wussification of America in, in Major League Baseball? I mean, it's something like that, no, right? It, it, it's, it's called the wimpification of the American sportsman. Yeah, we see it. We see it in, in football too. I mean, right? You can't even tackle the quarterback. They'll throw the flag on you because you quote landed on him. Yeah. Isn't this football? Uh, you know, you can't knock a guy out of the uh, going down the sideline, returning a punt with your shoulder. You have to negotiate him out of bounds now because. 
you know, you might hurt somebody. Yeah, you use the term negotiate in, in the world of sports uh, on the plane service. That's funny. And I think this is the first <laughs> time that we have ever heard the term bobby socks on the program before. That's great. That's it. I mean, you got to be old to know the bobby socks routine. That's outstanding. <laughs> hey, hey, I was watching. Well, here the- we are. Go, go, yeah, I was watching the Yankees and Rays game yesterday, and Michael Kay, and I love Michael Kay, does a great job, right? And they went mm-hmm. to extra yep. innings, and he goes, okay, here we go. It's carnival time. And I thought that was – isn't that great? I've known Michael Kay since the 80s. Oh, yeah. Good guy. And, yeah. Uh, he used to be just a writer, and then now he's uh, the broadcaster for the Yankees. Right. No, he calls it right. Michael, Michael's, got, Michael's got it going on. He, he knows uh, – he knows the phrases to use, and I think it resonates with the with the fans out there. Is they they don't like this stuff. I mean, they're so concerned about the the pace of the game, and you know, well, that's because everybody wants to hit home run. They don't care if they strike out, and they're so concerned about the length of the game. If, if it's so concerning to you, just go do something else. Then go 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 to a tennis match or skating is always available. You know, maybe do something like that. Yeah, the, the only thing I'll say about that is some of those men's tennis matches can take four or five hours. So, not, not, not sure <laughs> that's, that's the, right. Not sure that's the right place okay. to go there. But you got uh, me there. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, when, when you see this kind of stuff, when I think about the the runner on second and then in the extra innings, it kind of reminds me. It's like kind of baseball's version of the NHL going to the three on three overtime and then the shootout at the end. It's yeah. like, well, we don't want to play. Mm-hmm. We don't want to keep on playing and playing. So let's just find a way to end this damn thing. Yeah, that's what they're trying to do. And, you know, the other thing is when they have the fights, how about the fights that happen? I mean, they're, 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 they're hard to bonds is what they are. They're not fights. They, nobody throws a punch in baseball. Have you ever seen a good punch being thrown? The only good punch I saw, I saw thrown was is in a fight when the Dodgers had a, had a brawl when Strawberry was on the team. And he, I saw him throw a good straight left and then, and then a tight hook underneath some guy's chin and shot his head up. That was, that was a nice punch. But you don't see very many in baseball. They just hug each other and scream and yell. What they had to do is they said the two combatants that want to go at it, they should make it, a, make it a rule that nobody else can come on the field. And just put the two guys that want to go at it in the middle, in between home plate and, and, the, and the pitcher's mound, and tell them, okay, you got 30 seconds, and that's it. 30, most fights don't even last 30 seconds. Right. So it's like 30 seconds, you guys go at it, nobody else touches it. It'd be like hockey where the referees just sit there with their arms crossed, and they watch, and when they're done, they break it up. That, that's what they should do. There'd probably be a lot less injuries if you think about it. Everybody piles on, and this guy gets spiked. This guy pulls a muscle. This guy over here. If you just have the two guys, you kind of limit it, you know? So in some of those rivalry games that you were in, you know, whether it's Dodgers, Giants, or anywhere, I mean, any of the, the benches, bench-clearing brawls that were never brawls, like you said, were you one to, to run right to the action, or were you one to kind of stray away from the action? No, no, I, I wanted to get up there. <laughs> but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't going up there to hit anybody. I wasn't. Go, I was going to pull people off my guy, right. and I was going to make sure that I wasn't going to get sucker punched. Yeah. Now, I wasn't going to go there and sucker punch anybody else because it's fair. It's fair. But if somebody was going to sucker punch me, I was. That, that was fine. Then we'll go at it and we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm not going to sucker punch, and I'm also not going to let them sucker punch my teammates. Yeah. Um, other than that, you know, it's you know I don't really have a beef on anybody, but I'm just going out there now. The worst thing to do is if you don't go out there. I've seen guys before, they sit on the bench, and those guys, 
uh, everybody hates them the rest of the year. They they get they get cross eyed looks in the clubhouse the rest of the year. You must go out there. Yes, you know that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. Hey, going back to that Conforto thing. Okay, uh, there mm-hmm. is there was there ever a Steve Sachs moment where you know you were you you needed to get on base, dying to get on base. Did you lean into one yourself, or did you have an Academy Award performance where the ball didn't hit you and, and you ran down to first base? Uh, no, is that was the opposite. I've been hit before, and I tried to fake it because I wanted to hit. Right. Uh, I, I, I would you, look. I mean, if you're leaning into balls and you you're doing things like that, that says one thing: you can't hit. If you're begging to get on base, you can't hit. You know, Michael Conforto can hit. That's the thing about him. I understand why he did it because the bases were loaded, and it was just at the moment where you know they could win the game if he did it. That's different, but no, I was I didn't want to get hit by a pitch. I didn't. I, you know, that hurts. I've been hit a few times. I got hit once in the in the tip of the elbow on my left elbow uh, in spring training. I, I missed a couple of games in spring training because it was really right on the right on the right on the bone at the tip of it. And then the first game back, the first time up, I got hit in the same exact place again. And I'm like, that it doesn't feel good when you get hit. Ball coming in there, 95 plus, uh, you know, and that ball's pretty hard. So you don't want to get hit or take a chance on it. It's amazing. Like, there are some of these guys, they wear it like a badge of honor. I like, remember Ron Hunt back in the day. That guy loved getting yeah. hit. And there's a lot of guys like that as well, too. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm going to take Don one Baylor. for the team. Yeah, Don, Baylor. Don Baylor got hit all the time. There's another one. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Crazy. And, and but, but today they wear 14 pounds of gear. They got an elbow <laughs> guard. They got one on their knee. They got one on their foot. Shohei Otani uh, looks like an armory unit. When he goes up to bat, he's got one on his hand. He's got his elbow. He's got a flap jacket. He's got one on his knee. He's got him everywhere. I mean, I don't, I don't know how he gets dressed and gets undressed every time he goes up to bat. Uh, hey, you brought him up real quick. Uh, what, are the, what do the Angels do with this guy? I mean, is he going to be this two-way guy and, and pitch on Sundays or once a week? And I mean, he hasn't looked very impressive on the mound, but he has been impressive at the dish. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. I, I, if I was them, I would, I would let him go both ways because – this guy, even if he becomes a comet, he's, he's like this shooting star that goes out there and, and is able to do it both ways. I say you let him do it because we haven't seen this since Babe Ruth, right? A guy that could really do it legitimately both ways. And this guy has got, has got it. He can throw 99 up in the zone. He's got a tremendous split finger. He really doesn't even have a, a, a pitch where he can say it's his third pitch. He's, got a, he's developing his, his curveball or his slider, but... He's got, he's got the goods, man. I would let him do it as long as he can, two ways. All right, final thing here for you, Steve. Uh, Dodgers, Padres, looking like the kings of the NL West as of right now. I just want to tell you right. about, about Clayton Kershaw, though. You know, Again, he had a, a horrible spring, and there was this, you know, the uh, fraction of people have thought, okay, you know, Kershaw's probably done. We know the velocity's been down over years, but he's had three pretty good starts so far and a real good one against mm-hmm. Scherzer yesterday. What are your thoughts on Kershaw yeah. right now? Oh, oh yeah, he's you know he's still got he's still got quite a bit of life in him. He's not the same type of pitcher where he could pitch ninety five up in the strike zone. He's a guy now that stays lower in the strike zone and really uses that tremendous slider that he's developed. He's been able to evolve into a guy that maximizes the the talents that he has now, which is not a not a tremendous fastball, good location, but a, a very good curveball still, a wicked Kofax like curveball, and a tremendous slider that he's developed now that kind of takes the place of his of his fastball. So he's he's still evolving. He's still very effective. Last year, you look at his numbers last year, he could have been a number one on most teams last year. Um, he's still a very qualified guy. 
And I think he pitched better in, both, in postseason, too. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Great stuff as uh, usual. I look forward to getting that, getting that picture uh, from you today. Yeah, so do that. I'll do that today. And guess what? The Quake, <laughs> right. the quake is making his way back from lunch. Wait. Oh, my God. No, wait. He just made a U-turn. What happened? He was on the his way. Off. Yeah. <laughs> there. Quake. There it is. Somebody was said, hey, there's, there's food over here. <laughs> All right, brother. Hey, be good. You can catch him on MLB Network Radio, right? Catch him uh, just about every night, right? Whenever he feels like being on, that's right? There it that, is. That's right. Yeah, I'm, on, I'm on periodically, mostly on Fridays. Uh, I'm sorry, Tuesdays, Saturdays, and then smattering of times throughout the week. There it is. XM89 MLB Network Radio. Okay, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Take care, guys. All right. Yeah. There it is. Steve Sack.